So let's get into it. Obviously, these cases have been investigated for years now. What did you and your team do differently that led to the discovery of all this evidence? Well, we kept an open mind. You know, we approached it with an investigative philosophy that every theory was true until proven otherwise. And so we just went through a process of elimination uh, to figure out what the most viable theory was and, and where the evidence actually pointed. Um, and uh, I think we were very objective about it. And perhaps my predecessor, Russell Poole, was, uh, was not as objective. You know, he didn't have the information at his disposal that we did. And so I think he was a little bit more um, narrowly focused. And I think that's probably what hampered his ability to, to see the truth. And in terms of the process, how did it work? Did you start with uh, witnesses, video evidence? What did you start with, and how did it progress over time? Well, to, to start, you have to you know, educate yourself on all of the investigative material that already existed. And there were volumes and volumes and volumes of it. I mean, just boxes and boxes of investigative material that had been and developed over that nearly 10 year period of time. So we had to familiarize ourselves with all of that. And that was a daunting task in its own. And then once we did that, we said, all right, what hasn't been done? You know, we, we know what the conventional investigative methods that have been already, you know, have been already taken. We have to come up with something kind of new and, uh, hopefully effective. Um, because at this point in time, it's a cold case, and most all the, you know, all the check boxes have been checked. We had to just become a little bit more innovative. And how did you go about comprising your team and assigning them roles? Was it uh, difficult to have people work together in this kind of investigation, considering it was so old? Yeah, I mean, it presents its own challenges, just as in any, you know, as in any situation, you have different personalities and sometimes different agendas. And, um, you know, so you deal with all those kind of more personal issues. Um, but from professionally, I just said, I'm going to pick people that are subject matter experts in these particular niche areas that we need to know. I need somebody who really understands the, the world of, um, of guns and ballistics. So I got an ATF guy and uh, I, I need some help pursuing some of these um, uh, narcotic uh, avenues that we want to pursue. So I'm going to attach myself with people from the DEA. And then, of course, you know, there's gangs. So I get guys that had historic gang intelligence, um, like Tim Brennan, uh, who dealt with uh, some of these people back in the 90s when the crimes had occurred. So it, just, it, it was kind of just a practical approach, get people who were in the best position to know things and come together and collaborate. Did you receive a lot of help or any pushback or any resistance from the LAPD or anybody working on behalf of Los Angeles? No, not at all. As a matter of fact, we had an open door and a green light to do just about anything that we needed to do. I mean, the LAPD was very, very... Um, they were very, very uh, emphatic about getting the case solved in one way or another. And they were ready to deal with the fact that potentially we were going to find out that cops were involved and there would be these issues. So they understood that going in. They gave us a green light and just said, figure out where it leads, get to the, get to the heart of the matter. And 
So there was no resistance. It was actually the opposite. And the primary issues you encountered, uh, at least it seemed, were these disagreements at the corporate level, uh, somewhat, between Bad Boy Records and Suge Knight, and also at the street level between some of the various gangs involved. How did those two merge in your investigation? Well, for Suge Knight, you know, he affiliated himself with guys that were ex-convicts and gang members from his neighborhood. And, of course, that was the image that he was trying to promote for Death Row Records. So it was kind of natural for him to kind of affiliate himself with these people that represented that, that world. And, uh, you know, there was, um, with, with Bad Boy and, his, and Sean Combs' association with the Crips, it was a little bit different. It was more out of a necessity. You know, Bad Boy knew that when they came out here to the West Coast, they had to deal with Shogun and his goons and, you know, needed to get the same type of protection that, you know, those guys were offering to Shug, you know, at the street level. And so for Sean Combs, they just became um, associated with these guys who were the enemies of his enemies. So it's like that old saying, make the enemy of your enemy your friend. And that's, that's how it kind of evolved for him.